1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast, part of the lo- <laughs> I, did, I almost did it. Part of the Franchise Podcast Network, John. I've already look. I've already said. I, th- I think I said on Locked On Thunder yesterday for the Tuesday episode. Um, I guarantee you, and I left this in the podcast. I guarantee you, if I um, there will be some episode where I say, "Welcome back to the Locked On Sooners podcast," and it's Locked On Thunder. <laughs> um, I don't know how you keep it all straight, dude. I, I don't know how you keep it all straight. I, yeah. What are you gonna do? You gotta. You gotta let the moment. Brady, maybe wash over you. You got to immerse yourself in the part. That's what it is. You got to, you got to, you're, you're backstage and you're talking to your manager about your career and you're thinking about your agent and you're saying, what's my motivation? What's my motivation? And then you find that, that motivation, you find that line, you find that part that touches your heart. Wait, is this Broadway I'm talking about or is this (laughs) podcasting? Podcasting is very important. We're on the front lines here. Covering sports for you, the listener. Iran is shooting the, missiles at us, and we're still the, podcasting. This is fun. Um, this is fun stuff, and talking sports is just what we do. We, we act like we're experts. We pretend to be experts. But for me, the, the motivation was always to provide something for the listener that the listener could not get anywhere else. So I tried to do that when I hosted the one podcast um, and I try to do that every time I sit down with you and put on the headphones, give the listener something that they're not going to get somewhere else. Exactly. And um, I'll disagree, disagree with you on the experts uh, comment because you're, you're, you are clearly an expert and my dartboard with Bob Stoops, face on it clearly says that I'm an expert for this podcast as well. So <laughs> <laughs> um, no, by the way, that's John Hoover on the other side. If you don't know who that is for whatever reason, I'm Brady Trantham. This is the Inside OU podcast, and we are, what, three, four weeks removed from the devastatingly dominant performance by LSU against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl, John. Uh, there's 16 not- days and, and um, three days, right? So 19 days. Goodness, it feels like an eter- it felt like an eternity from the Peach Bowl to the national championship. I had almost forgotten, no. like, oh yeah, there, there's still one more game to, left to be played, and LSU, I guess, kind of made o- some OU fans feel a little bit better about losing to them so badly because they dominate OU, and then after about the midpoint of the first quarter, they just dominate Clemson, and they made Trevor Lawrence look uh, mortal. They made Clemson's defense look very beatable. Uh, they just straight dominated them, and LSU just and probably in my opinion, because I know a lot of people have thrown out O one Miami um, in terms of comparing the two teams. In my opinion, I know for sure they're probably the most dominant team since two thousand four USC, who also dominated OU. Uh, but I remember coming away from that Orange Bowl and then looking back on that season, going that team had so much talent. That team just was not going to be beaten by anybody. OU probably should have had a better showing, but OU wasn't going to beat them. USC was far more talented, and LSU kind of reminds me of that same team. 
Yeah, LSU. The LSU team we saw, I think, was was one of, if not the, all time college football national champion. It's certainly in the discussion whether it's ninety five Nebraska, um, two thousand four USC, nineteen forty five Army, nineteen fifty six Oklahoma. There are two thousand one Miami. There are a handful of teams in, in history that make that argument as the best of all time to ever play college football 150 years. And you're talking about the best to ever play football over the course of a season. And I think LSU not only is in that discussion, but they make a great argument for being number one. It's ridiculous how, um, how good that team is, but not just that, but how well they played together. And that is why Ed Orgeron won multiple coach of the year awards, not just for hiring Joe Brady, not just for getting you know amazing development out of out of Joe Burrow, but the fact that he brought this team together and they won and played so well, played so amazing yeah. against Alabama, against Georgia, against Oklahoma, against Clemson. When you put all that together, that's coaching. That I mean, yeah, talent talent goes a long way, but when you play great every week. That's not just talent. That's coaching. And so Ed Orgeron um, becomes the sixth current active head coach with a national championship on his resume. Oh, man. I, I mean, Joe Burrow is incredible. Uh, LSU is incredible. And I knew that going into the Peach Bowl. But it's always interesting to me that when you're caught up in the middle of the, of the season or when you're caught up like prepping for like how should this team attack their opponent in this bowl game, like you know obviously they're both in a playoff game. So both teams are good. But you kind of lose perspective of just how dominant LSU was. And I, I, I even go back to the conversation that was had about, well, why isn't Ohio State the number one seed? They were the number one team going into uh, – conference championship week they have a bad first half against wisconsin but end up uh winning that game and wisconsin's no you know they're a good team as well um lsu beats the crap out of georgia so lsu gets the bump up to number one and i I thought then john i was happy with lsu at number one i thought they deserved it because you go back and look at who they beat this year my god they beat everybody that was good (laughs) they beat about everybody that in the top 10, I think they beat every team in the top four AP starting off the year because they beat OU. Um, they beat Georgia. Um, they weren't top four AP, I don't believe, starting off. Uh, beat Alabama, beat Clemson. Uh, just just incredible. And I, this isn't the Inside LSU podcast, but I, I do want to like talk one, one little, little topic about LSU, but in comparison to OU, and we talked about this on Locked On Sooners just a few minutes ago, John. Um, you had some stats, you had some numbers that are going to piss off a lot of fans of OU that kind of think the same way that I do about Bob and Mike Stoop. So the floor mm-hmm. is yours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was watching the national championship game and I was looking at the amount of talent on the LSU defense and the Clemson defense. Remember now Clemson lost four defensive linemen from last year's team that was 15 and zero, and is in the discussion for greatest of all time. Clemson lost four defensive linemen directly to the NFL, kind of like Oklahoma lost four offensive linemen directly to the NFL. Those guys are all playing. They've got guys. Clemson has guys on the NFL all-rookie team in 2019. So that's how good Clemson was. And LSU 
has similar talent, not necessarily first-round talent, not elite all-time talent. But LSU was just dominating up front, just dominating the Clemson line. And I got to thinking, why what, Why is LSU – why do LSU and Oklahoma look so different? They both play a three-man front. Why do they look so different? I got out the two deeps. Oklahoma's two deep averages on the defensive line. Averages six foot two, 273 pounds. So that's two defensive ends, basically, and one defensive nose, nose guard. All right. Neville Gallimore uh, and the two DNs. LSU, their three-man defensive line in the two deep, all six guys, they average six foot three, 318. So the difference of 45 pounds per man plus an inch taller per man on average, LSU just looks like a different it, – it almost doesn't look like the same sport. It looks like you're playing like yeah. when, you, when you roll some skinny, fast defensive ends out there versus what LSU has a defensive end. LSU's defensive ends are 309 pounds and 308 pounds. Oklahoma's are 251 and 269. Are you kidding me? That looks like junior varsity versus varsity. So that makes a big difference. That makes obviously a huge difference. Uh, four of LSU's six defensive linemen are six foot four, six foot four defensive linemen. Imagine that you're an offensive lineman, you're a quarterback, you're a running back, and you got those um, monsters running at you. It's it's pretty it's pretty daunting. So then I got to looking at the defensive backs. I, I watched uh, obviously Oklahoma and LSU, you know, try to match up, and I'm wondering why Oklahoma's receivers could do absolutely nothing outside of cd lamb those guys could do absolutely nothing against the lsu defensive backs and i got to looking at the, the matchups again lsu plays uh sorry yeah lsu plays four defensive line uh four defensive backs and the eight guys on the two deep average six foot one on 193 pounds oklahoma's average five ten and a half and 184 pounds so Inch and a half, two inches per man, ten pounds per man, and and Oklahoma's got more players. Oklahoma runs a four, a three, three, five defense, so you've got five defensive backs. So you're so you're averaging ten players. Brady, nine of Oklahoma's ten defensive backs, ninety percent of their two deep comes up short of six foot. Parnell Motley being at six foot probably closer to five eleven and three quarters i'm angry but he's he's officially six foot tall he's the only one on the entire two deep that's six foot or or taller if you if you take clemson and lsu and you combine them the two deeps on defensive back backfield 16 players okay so eight for one team eight for the other team you come up with a grand total of two defensive backs who are not six feet tall. Oklahoma's got nine. Clemson and LSU have two. So, I mean, you know, if you want to play big boy football, Brady, you're going to have to get some big boys. I'm angry, John. We need, we need like somebody, whoever listens to this podcast that also has extremely uh, high musical talent. Somebody needs to write like some music for uh, this podcast whenever I go on a Bob Stoops tangent because it's necessary. It's uh, the time to uh, either get your popcorn ready because you agree with me or you can fast forward right through it because you love Bob Stoops. If you do, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong, uh, but you're wrong because my God, John, why does OU have this problem? 
Why does why did OU fall into this trap? I, I don't get it. I, I'll tell you why. Go ahead. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you I'm glad you asked. It's the Big Twelve Conference. People who say the Big Twelve Conference is not holding Oklahoma back, they're 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 well not they're not telling you the whole picture. Well look they're not necessarily wrong, but they're not telling you the whole picture because the Big Twelve Conference for a decade played a style of football that does not match with what we saw Monday night. Yeah, it they does, it's not the, it, they played flag football for the better part of a decade. And co- so coaches are, whether it's Mike Stoops or, or Willie Martinez or, or whoever going into homes, looking for defensive backs who can keep up and play with a, a formation. That's five wide receivers or four wide receivers and constant tempo and 70 passes per game. That's the style of play that Oklahoma had, fallen into recruiting wise yeah. defensive backfields. Okay. So you got to go out and get those DBs who can play that style of defense, who can play, as you said, flag football. Then what happens, you go into the BCS national championship game, you go into the college football playoff, you go up against Clemson and LSU and Alabama and teams like that. And they're, they, those, those guys look completely different than your guys. And so, so you have to ask yourself, which do you want to do? Do you want to, compile a roster that can compete for and win a national championship. I'm talking physically here. I'm not talking about coaching and X's and O's and all that stuff. I'm talking this guy versus that guy. Can this guy win his matchup versus that guy? That's what we've seen the last three years in, in the college football playoff. We've seen a lot of Oklahoma going in with good players who are not physically capable of winning their individual matchup. So Oklahoma coaches have to at some point ask themselves do we want to continue recruiting guys who are ideal for the big 12 conference for for running around and playing as you said flag football or do we want to step up and recruit guys who can play and win a national championship guys who can go into an orange bowl or a sugar bowl or a uh, peach bowl or whatever uh rose bowl and beat an sec champion uh, or SEC runner-up in one case, guys who can go in and beat Clemson, who has produced five stars and first-round draft picks, because Oklahoma hasn't been that team in the last, uh, you know, physically. They haven't been that team in the last 10 years, not since uh, Gerald McCoy in that 2009 defense yep. when Sam, Sam Bradford got hurt. That was a fantastic defense that Brent Venables had. And they didn't. They had so many injuries across the offensive line and tight end and quarterback. Obviously, they couldn't compete. Obviously, on that level. But if you put the 2008 offense with the 2009 defense, I'm telling you, that's a national championship team. Oklahoma hasn't had that kind of talent since since 2009 in 10 years. So the the coaches again, they have to ask themselves: Do we want to continue to win Big 12 championships and be better than most, or do we want to step up our game and put that number eight? up there on the wall somewhere. Yeah, well, look, my next question to you would then be this, and I might just answer my own question by asking it, but Texas has had no problem getting athletes, especially on the the, the defensive side of the football, in the last decade when the Big 12 was playing flag football. Now, the results weren't there, but a lot of that is, you know, it's a team sport. You can have great athletes. Like, oh, there have been great athletes on OU's defenses sprinkled throughout the last 10 years, but you look at the total team result and you would go, really? I don't, I don't agree. Uh, it's a team sport. Don't get me wrong. Texas has had no problem getting athletes, but again, they are Texas. So 
even when they suck, they get great talent. And the Big 12 does present challenges. Like, I'm not going to pretend that those aren't there. They're challenges. But this isn't supposed to be easy, John. Like, to me, it was just, it's it's like Bob Stoops and Mike Stoops just immediately accepted that we're not going to get Gerald McCoy-type players anymore, so why even bother? And when you have that mentality, you made your bed. OU is lying in it right now. 100% right. 100% right. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and to his credit, I'll get. I'll say this. You know, Bob, Bob brought uh, Lincoln Riley and some new coaches in and changed the direction of the OU program. Yes. And then when he got it going in that direction, he said, Lincoln Riley, here are the keys to this Rolls Royce. You take it from here. And he stepped back and he turned it over to Lincoln Riley. And you know what Lincoln Riley has done? He took what Bob Stoops did and he's made it better. He, he's yeah. made it better through a, uh, you know, obviously youthful energy and invigorating the program and all that stuff. He's made it better in, in terms of uh, embracing social media and, and embracing the, the new wave of change uh, and, and new line, new way of thinking about college football and its players. Lincoln Riley has embraced all of that. Uh, Lincoln Riley has been better at recruiting. Um, Oklahoma fell off in recruiting into the 16s and I think one of their recruiting classes was in the 20s if I'm not mistaken in the last few years under Bob Stoops Lincoln Riley's turned it back around and he's got recruiting classes that are consistently ranked in the top 10 one in the top five I think and his goal obviously is the number to have the number one recruiting class and he's trending in that direction yeah. and bringing in a guy like Alex Grinch and bringing in different staffers specifically on the defense, who can accomplish that? Who can go out and recruit a 6'2 defensive back or a 6'1 corner or a 315-pound freshman defensive tackle? Those are the kind of guys that are going to change the fortunes of the OU program in terms of going from being, quote-unquote, better than most. I know you that's one of your favorite um, <laughs> Bob Stoopsisms. I'll get it tattooed from, on me someday. <laughs> yeah, from being better than most to actually being able to compete and, and win possibly a national championship. That's what Lincoln Riley has done. He's recruiting better. He's recruiting at a much higher pace than Bob was. So the, the program's trending in the right direction. If he can continue to bring in top five, top 10, even classes, if he can continue to coach his butt off on Saturdays, and if he can continue to maintain and retain um, good coaches, good coordinators like Alex Grinch, which he seems to have done, by the way. Alex Grinch apparently reportedly was in discussions for going back to Washington State as the head coach to replace Mike Leach. He said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay D.C. at Oklahoma. If, he, if Lincoln Riley can continue to win those battles and keep this momentum going, I think Oklahoma is going to be on the stage at some point. They're going to make it to a college football playoff, maybe in 2020, maybe in 2021, more likely, and they're going to win the game because they will have better players. Yeah, um, this might be a hot take, but unless you've had previous head coaching experience, John, it's, in my opinion, uh, being a coordinator, a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator at a school like OU is better than being the head coach at Washington State. You don't want your first run as a head coach at Washington State. It's it's a college football outpost. Yeah, yeah. You'd be, you'd be, it's almost career suicide. Yeah, it makes sense for Mike Leach to go there. He had previous head coaching experience, and he has a reputation that can – help build momentum as when he gets there. When If you're Alex Grinch, like, yeah, people might be excited because uh, the community in Pullman has a history with you. Outside of that, it's just like, um, 
Yeah, I was never worried, basically, that Alex Grinch was going to be seriously considering the Washington State job, but apparently he lives to fight another year with Alex Grinch, which is great because it's good for momentum. It's good for maintaining uh, the momentum that has been built um, with him in his first year, making the defense very respectable. And like we already talked about on the previous episode, the Peach Bowl does nothing for me, and I would hope and assume that many recruits probably felt the same way. It's like, eh, it's, I mean, LSU was great. OU's defense throughout the entire year showed that they can have a pulse. And uh, Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore's drafting will be important. And by all accounts, I think you and I both agree, both those players will test extremely well at the combine if they're able to go 100%. And that'll probably result in Kenneth Murray maybe getting a first-round draft pick maybe a high second round Neville Gallimore. I'm a little bit, I don't really know. It just depends on if somebody falls in love with him. And then even a guy like Parnell Motley might find himself drafted because he had quite a, uh, a year to write home about, except for getting kicked out of Kansas state because he literally kicked somebody that was embarrassing. But um, no, you're, you're right. The program is trending upwards. The, the problem is like, OU fans and uh, OU administration, just everybody involved around OU football I'm curious as to how much patience everybody has because OU has been so close. Now, they've been so close in terms of all you got to do is beat this team, then you're you're in the national championship. You already just highlighted how far away they actually are from an individual player talent standpoint. Uh, But at the end of the day, they have been on paper very, very close. Basically, I guess we can technically say since 2015 when they played in their first playoff game. What you're talking about, the program going in the right direction, that is still something that will take this year, this coming year, the following year, and then maybe on paper they have a chance. But if that's the way that it goes, John, because by then Alex Grinch will have juniors and seniors in the system, in his system that he recruited. If that's the case, well, at the time, oh, he's going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Because if Spencer Rattler is everything that we've been told that he is, he's going to be the quarterback this season, next season, and go to the NFL, and they'll have to bring in somebody else. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the game of college football. Is you, you have to hope that everything clicks on the same year. It clicked for LSU. It clicked for Oklahoma when Baker Mayfield got that extra year of eligibility, but just not on the defensive side of the football. So, I mean, there's so much involved, and patience is just it's being tested so much right now. Yeah, um, Spencer Rattler. You're right. If if he is what we're told he is, if we're if we if we, he is what we are to believe is a legit five star, you know, big time player. Listen, I think he's got amazing athletic ability. I think his arm strength. There's just is, so much more to being a quarterback. There's so much more than that. Yeah, I mean, that, his that arm strength is amazing. That we haven't seen yet. He he probably he might very well have it, but that we, yeah. until we see it, we can't we can't just assume. You have to. I mean, there, there's a there's a high school suspension in his background. I mean, it's part of his it's part of who he is. It's part of his legacy. I'm sure he's matured beyond that and grown past it. But it is a part of who he is. Um, and let's be honest, the last time Oklahoma had went out and recruited and signed a five star quarterback. It didn't end well. That the, not not that the, you know he and Rhett Bomar are the same players. Not not you know, but but talent talent wise, I think they're somewhat similar in terms of just being you know elite arm yep. strength, athletic ability. 
Um, and and we, we have yet to see how mature he is. We have yet to see if he um, embraces the the notion and all the, the noise that goes along with being QB1 at a palace like Oklahoma. You know, this, this is its own – Oklahoma football is like its own country. And somebody puts you in charge of your own country – what, oh, do, what is your reaction? It would fail you, miserably if somebody put me in charge of something. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'd be terrible at it. I'm not. I, I would not sit here on a high horse and cast aspersions. I'm saying I, I would be terrible at it. Uh, the, it takes a really, truly special, special person to yeah. to lean into that and say, "Yeah, I'm I'm the quarterback at Oklahoma. Sure, I can do that. I can I can handle that burden because it is a burden. I mean, Paul Thompson did it." And nobody expected him to, you know. Uh, Baker Mayfield did it, and when he got here, nobody expected him to. Uh, Kyler Murray certainly did it. The, uh, through the years, the, the the amount of quarterbacks, again, Sam Bradford, he did it. And when he signed, no one expected him to. Yeah. And that's part of the thing. That's part of the mistake of coming in like a Rhett Bomar. I'm, I'm just going back through my, my era of covering this team. So that's my point of reference. You go back and it's like Rhett Bomar was appointed the quarterback at Oklahoma. He was anointed the next big thing, the next Jason White, right? Yeah. So so he didn't have to fight for anything. He didn't have to earn anything. He didn't have to beat anybody out. He didn't have to prove anybody wrong. Now you've got Spencer Rattler, Johnny Five Star, who comes in from Arizona and, and has a you know redshirt freshman year and everybody's anointing him. Well, Clearly, he's going to beat out Tanner Mordecai. We may be saying it, selling Tanner Mordecai short in terms of his grittiness and you know what kind of what kind of um, character he has and that kind of thing. Clearly, uh, Spencer Rattler is a superior thrower and athlete than Tanner Mordecai is. But are we selling Tanner Mordecai short that he might be the superior quarterback? Maybe, and that's what Lincoln Riley is saying. Hey, we're going to have a competition. We are going to have a competition. I want to see what both of these guys' internal makeup is. I want to see how they handle the spotlight. I want to see how they handle the pressure, the fans, the media, everything. Lincoln Riley is smart and 100% correct to handle this competition this way. If, again, if Rattler is who we think he is, yeah, I do think he'll be gone in three years. But the kid's got a lot of growing up to do. I, I, I think when you anoint a quarterback like that without making him go through hard times or work for it or whatever it is. I think you're missing one of the, one of the, you're overlooking one of the qualities that it takes to become an elite quarterback. Quarterbacking is hard. Playing college football is hard. Being at a place like Oklahoma for all its, you know, frivolities and all the rewards that come with it. It's not the easiest thing. Those guys work their asses off. And so for a quarterback to come out of that environment, and win the job, and win the respect of his team, and be that guy in the fans' eyes, and, and never screw up in the media. That's a hard thing to do. So, so I'm not. I, I've backed away from my stance that that uh, Spencer Rattler is definitely going to be the guy. I think he is, but I, I think it's less certain. Um, just given a, a couple of weeks to reflect after the season, I think it's less certain than it was. I mean, come on, John. They they put Spencer Rattler on the jumbotron last night. Um, on the Lloyd at the Lloyd Noble Center when OU <laughs> lost to Kansas, why would they put the third string quarterback on the jumbotron? <laughs> you have, you make a great point. I, now, listen, if, if Lincoln Spencer, Riley's got work to do. I'll put it that if way. If Spencer Rattler just simply completed that pass in the Peach Bowl and got a first down, maybe they would put Tanner Mordecai on there too. They could have had a kiss cam moment. 
There you go. Hug it there out. Hug it out. Here comes the quarterback competition of the century. It's coming. Videos will be made. Books will be written to quote the um, great Howard Schnellenberger. Well, they're going to erect an obelisk. Obelisk will be erected. Pyramids, <laughs> pyramids will be raised. Um, armies will be marched. It's it's going to be it's going to be huge. Uh, to also quote the silly president. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean it's trending in the right direction. Oh, you got Kobe McKenzie today. Uh, outside linebacker out of Lubbock, Texas, who uh, in 2022, uh, for the 2022 class, excuse me, is ranked as the uh, number one outside linebacker in the country, in, in the country, um, the number two player in the state of Texas. And overall, I think he's a top, he's a top 100 guy. I think he might be a top 40. I might have looked at the wrong number. Um, now, this is a long, long way from now. 20, 2022, I don't even know if I'll be alive for then, John. But um, when you think about somebody like Brock Vandergriff, who was pretty much committed so hard that he might as well have written his uh, or signed his letter of intent when he did originally commit to OU, and then just a few months later, uh, a few weeks ago, decommits from OU, it just you know, it's cool to get these commitments and it's what it, what it tells me, like what, what I come away with is this defensive staff is putting in the effort they're putting in the work and they're not intimidated by their past, like OU's defensive past recently. They're not intimidated by that enough to go, all right, this guy is going to be, he's going to be recruited by Alabama, by Texas, mm-hmm. Texas A&M, all the big dogs in the recruiting game. Uh, once he gets older, cause he's a sophomore right now. Uh, six three two twenty. My God, um, he's gonna get recruited by the big dogs. But OU and Alex Grinch, they're like, I don't care. This is the this is the type of athlete that we need. We need to get him in the fold now, and they did. Yeah, that is that is impressive work to get an early verbal commitment from a guy who's going literally going to be recruited by Clemson and Alabama and LSU and yeah. uh, Texas and A and M. That's that's the kind of mindset that Alex Grinch and, and Lincoln Riley have to have, they can't, they can't, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because he's, he's, he hasn't, he's so young. What is he? 16 years old, 15 years old. He's (laughs) see now this sounds like we're talking about something illegal right now. This just feels weird to talk about a kid. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and how he, tall he is and, and shit. You know, it's like it's weird. Well, what's what's weird about it to me is that you know, I'll take you back to my my experience in the recruiting realm. He's my playing, personal, he's experience. at home playing Pokemon right now. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Listen, here's my personal recruiting experience. Not mine, but my daughter. Okay, she she was an elite soccer player. She. Some of her teammates were recruited uh, as freshmen. I mean, all, I should say all of them were being recruited as freshmen. All of them were being actually recruited as eighth graders. But some of her teammates actually verbally committed as freshmen. My daughter got around to the middle of her sophomore year and finally got an offer that she wanted and she committed. And there were other opportunities out there for her. And there were other opportunities out there for all these girls. But when that offer comes and you're thinking you're 15 years old, you're 16 years old, and you're thinking, I'm not sure really what I want to do with my life. I certainly don't know what I want to study when I get to college, which is three, four, five years away. Um, and what if I'm going to study something, anything at all? 
what I'm going to do with that as a career. And so here I am, I'm 15 years old, I'm 16 years old, and I'm trying to make a decision that is going to impact the rest of my life. You know, who my contacts are, who my friends are, uh, maybe who I'm married to, what my career is, you know, where, what all the, the networking paths that I take from until I'm 50 or 60 years old. Think about that. These guys are making these decisions as sophomores in high school now. Alabama and Nick Saban is going to come knocking on this kid's door. Tom Herman's going to come knocking on this kid's door. I'm sure he probably already has. And he's going to see, oh, wow, Oklahoma offers this as a major, or Oklahoma offers these courses of study, uh, or, or Texas offers these, and Alabama offers these. And North, and Carolina, bas- LSU and- and North Carolina basketball <laughs> offers classes that don't exist. North Carolina. <laughs> go to North Carolina and not even go to class. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's there's so much for these guys to measure and weigh that I, I just I Brady, I'm having a hard I know that's what they're signing up for when you play big time football and you become a, an elite prospect. Can you imagine the pressure that these guys are under to to make that decision? And coaches constantly texting you, emailing you, calling you, uh, showing up at your school putting the screws to you saying what do you think about this well we'd like to come on this visit have you been to our camp yet it's just too much and and but again that's what you sign up for as a big time college football player but boy good luck at 15 years old 16 years old whatever you are trying to make that decision and and i'm surprised that that you get verbal commitments out of the 2022 class already yeah um (laughs) if you're if you're one of those guys think about it if you're one of those guys that you're not going to have very many offers. You might have one or two. You're not you're not committing as a sophomore. You're committing late in your senior year, and you're taking the first offer you get at that point, right? Yeah. But these guys who are who are good enough to commit as sophomores or get offers as sophomores, or some even freshmen, uh, Lane Kiffin offering eighth graders, fifth graders. I think he offered one fifth grader. <laughs> I'm sorry. How are these guys supposed to know what they want to do the rest of their life at that age? It's just it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, even from the human standpoint of, you know, kids have a hard time telling adults no, like especially when uh, adults are being nice to them. And uh, when coaches are recruiting you, they're telling you all the things that you want to hear. They're like, you're the best thing since sliced bread. You're going to be the guy that puts us over the top when it's mm-hmm. your time to come. It's hard to say no. And that's why you see a lot of early verbal commitments and then it goes a different direction, even though the school that they are currently verbally committed to is very successful and the coaching staff has no inkling of changing anytime soon. Well, what changed? Uh, maybe the kid grows up and matures and, and finally comes to the conclusion that this actually isn't what I want. And now I'm more comfortable and older and old enough to go up to this adult head coach and say, I'm very sorry. It's just not the place for me. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. And that's what these kids have to go through. And it's something that I don't think people necessarily think of when they, um, get into recruiting, they just assume, yeah. okay, you've signed, you signed the deal with the devil. You can't go back now. And the, the thing that when you talk about fans, um, generally speaking, not all, but generally speaking, you talk about fans who get mad at kids recruits for changing their minds or whatever. Oh, I was pissed at Brock Vander. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's like, it's like, I was like, like, what else could go wrong? (laughs) I was surprised that they got that commitment from Brock Vandegrift. He's going to be the number one quarterback in that class, this, that, and the other. He's going to get offers from 
not just the big, you know, the, the guys that are in the hunt for the national championship every year, but he's going to get offers from teams in his hometown and, and teams in his home state. And when those things start coming in, you start thinking of the world in a little different place and people get mad at them and people have perceptions, I guess, in their head of because they're 30 years old and, and working a nine to five job or 40 years old or 50 years old. And they're, they've got a, you know, a mortgage and a, a dead end job and whatever. They think that the, that somebody else who picks Oklahoma and then changes his commitment, they think that they're bad people or they think that they're, uh, he, we didn't want him anyway. He didn't fit. You know, it's just like, dude, this is a 15 year old kid who comes from a completely different background, socioeconomic and, and otherwise, than you do and his life is not even close to yours you can't relate in any possible way to what this kid is going through and you're going to cast judgment on him like that i just that just that just really met, strikes me the wrong way it gets under my skin when when i see people attacking kids um in the in the recruiting circles for for changing their mind he he's a bad guy he was lying the whole time and he, you know it's like shut up I mean, coaches Stop. coaches do Stop it too. Co- coaches leave play- players at the altar, just like players leave coaches at the altar. Oh yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, uh-huh. it's a, it's a game. You play the game. Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. And sometimes you're going to look foolish. I mean, OU has OU has flipped plenty of players from other schools at the last second, and they That's turn right. in, and they turn into amazingly great players that the other school would just go. If only he would have come here, that, that SOB, how dare he change his mind? You know, it's just the way the game's played. And OU's going to have their successes. It's college football is cyclical. OU's not going to be like this forever. You just hope that, you know, Lincoln Riley with the offense remains static in terms of, and static is usually a bad descriptor, but I mean, they're very damn good. <laughs> so you want the you want the status quo offensively to remain and the defense to just kind of uh pick up steam and catch up to them a little bit more. They made great strides this year, just a little bit more, more recruiting and everything should be square. But um, Well, let's let's talk real quick about the offense. You break in a brand new quarterback who's played in two, two who's played in three games in his career. Talent, yes, but experience no. You lose C D Lamb. Um who is your basically your playmaker on the offense in 2019? Oh, don't worry, Theo Howard's coming. Don't worry, it's all, it's okay, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'll 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 be a he'll be a a body shot in the arm for this offense for sure. Um, but you you got your top running back, or well, not maybe not your top, but one of your top running backs coming off an ACL. Another one's got a five game suspension. Uh, Kennedy Brooks was kind of looked like he was kind of beat down at the end of the season. Uh, they're going to change the offense next year because it's not going to be Jalen Hurts running the football for 1,300 yards or whatever it was, 20 touchdowns. It's going to look different. Uh, now, the Oklahoma obviously got the, the best news of the offseason when Creed Humphrey decided he was going to come back. That brings back all five starters, or technically five of the six starters um, who, who started in 2019. Those guys grew throughout the season they got better throughout the season i thought they they showed a lot of progress from day one to you know the final games down the stretch they didn't have a good game against lsu but who does apparently <laughs> but um it was bill there, there's worst some... season and not necessarily because of him but in terms of the players that he had it was probably the worst offensive line that he's had uh, yeah. Since he's been the assistant coach at OU, and him, probably and his best something. coaching job. Yeah, that's saying something because, like you said, the offensive line made great strides, 
and they were still pretty good. They're just they just weren't the standard that we're used to seeing at the University of Oklahoma, which is an incredibly high standard. Right, and you put all those pieces together where you've got the entire offensive line coming back, uh, a rebuilt receiving core, some big question marks at running back, um, and, and then a, a new quarterback. I'm just, you know, if, if, I, if I'm an OU fan and I'm looking at the 2020 season and I'm thinking this is going to be our year to win a playoff game, I'm just hoping that the, uh, the offense can keep up with the improvements that the defense has made. The defense is actually looking, I think, fairly solid and – you know, you're. I don't know. Think about this. You're not going to be able to improve your defense 90 spots in the overall rankings like you did last year because they were what 27th, I think, is where they finished 2019. So yeah, there you're not going to have that kind of improvement on the defense again. But at least you're not coming from like last in the pack. At least now, if you get four spots improvement, at least you're coming from the 20s. So. Maybe maybe the defense will be the strong point of the 2020 Oklahoma season. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember saying something like that to my dad like a few seasons ago, maybe like during the Rose Bowl year of, you know, we're going to have a defense the year that we don't have an offense. That That's our curse. We're going to have a badass defense, basically like the 2009 year uh, where – you have a defense that I think forced four shutouts and another game where they allowed just three points and they were just badass all around. Uh, but Sam Bradford got hurt. Then Jermaine, or Jermaine Gresham got hurt. And uh, Brody Eldridge got hurt. The entire offensive line got hurt. The uh, wide receivers outside of Ryan Broyles could not catch a cold. Um, that's, that's, that's the thing about college football is you got to match everything up in one season. And, and doing that consistently is so hard. And I mean, as talented as LSU is on defense, they're going to be probably seeing a little bit of reality next year with no more Joe Brady as he takes the offensive coordinator job at Carolina. Joe Burrow obviously uh, going to the NFL, losing some talent on the offense and the offensive line as well. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to just plug and play. Oh, he's been fortunate in the offensive uh, perspective. But um, I, I we already brought up his name. Like, do you have a take on Theo Howard? Because I've watched, I've watched three games of his over the last few days, and – I'll let you, if you have a take, I'll let you go first. Because- uh, nothing earth shattering. I, I think he's, I think he's experienced. Obviously he's, he's played, he's made plays against division one cornerbacks before. That's important. Um, and he's, he's extremely, uh, he, he can make some extremely circus type catches, one handers and falling out of bounds and tip toe on the sideline. He's really good at those. I don't know how consistent he is at getting, separation like a like a cd lamb you know like like one of the uh, upper level receivers in the big 12 conference when you 80 percent of what you're doing 80 percent of your success rate comes from separating yourself from the defensive back and engendering trust between yourself and the quarterback that the quarterback throws it when you get that separation that's how you rack up big numbers as a receiver He's got some work to do, I think, in that area in terms of getting separation and earning the trust of Spencer Rattler. So I don't expect him to have like 80 catches next year. I could see 40 or 50, I think, is a good target. But that's where you start asking yourself, okay, who's going to be the big guys? Is it Hazelwood? Is it Weiss? Who's going to lead the team in receiving next year? Because yeah. I, I, right now I look at the receiving core and I have no idea who's going to lead the team in receiving. Yeah, I mean, you've got the obviously the three – three freshmen that are going to be sophomores. Um, and One is supposedly suspended for yeah, five games. I was going to say. Um, I mean, I, I said this on Locked On Sooners um, on Monday, I believe, when the Theo Howard uh, 
news was made official by OU. Watching a, f- a few of his games, nothing like you said, nothing earth shattering. He comes in like at six f- six feet tall. Um, I-, I did catch this, and I saw this on two different publications. I don't know if you saw this as well, John, um, but I couldn't find any official stats for this. I'm just going off these two independent articles that mentioned, oh yeah, in t- 2018, the last time that he pretty much played the entire season because he was hurt all last year. 2018, he didn't drop a single pass. So he at least brings a sure-handedness, which is invaluable. But he comes in with a burner reputation like he's fast. I don't think he's faster than Charleston Rambo, which mm-hmm. means, I mean, Charleston Rambo isn't faster than um, Marquise Brown. Now, maybe some of maybe a lot of it with Charleston um, Rambo was the fact that his quarterback couldn't stretch the field or even distribute the ball as well in the second half of the year. But I, I kind of came away even in the first half of the year for Rambo that he doesn't have Hollywood Brown speed, yeah, but he doesn't even have the speed that keeps a defensive coordinator up at night um, the night before and then even during the game. He's not a type of guy that can stretch the field with that speed that OU and Lincoln Riley wants on a consistent basis. He just doesn't have it. And so if I think that you're slower than him, well, Theo Howard's not going to bring that. And then also, the one thing that really stuck out to me, he does not like hitting people. And talk about all you want about the pass-catching ability and the touchdown-scoring playmaking of OU receivers over the last 10 years, or even going back to the early Bob Stoops years, John. One constant, OU receivers love blocking. They love get, they love hitting. Kenny Stills, Mark Clayton, Brandon Jones, um, uh, Sterling Shepard. I mean, you're talking about a bunch of f- – CeeDee Lamb. You're talking about a bunch of fearless, yeah. fearless guys that don't mind getting their uh, nose dirty and trying to block downfield for their teammates. Theo Howard, eh, he didn't really strike me as, as such. D.D. Uh, Westbrook, I think, fits in there as well. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, Rambo, listen, he had – uh, I, I think he had a pretty good year. There's no doubt. He had 100 yards receiving in three of his first four games, and he looked like he was going to be the guy that was really going to push C.D. Lamb for the the maybe lead dog uh, on that on that team in terms of catching the passes and making big plays and breaking tackles and getting in the end zone. He had four touchdown passes in his first three games. He caught four touchdown passes in his first three games. He was on his way. But then you count them up, seven of his, however many games that is, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, he caught three passes or less. Now, two of those, he went over 100 yards because he's such a good deep threat, and Jalen Hurts was uh, just chunking it up against the likes of Houston and, and uh, UCLA and, and uh, Texas Tech. So there, there's some of that to be said. But when it comes down to being a reliable receiver he caught one pass for 10 yards against texas uh, against kansas caught three for 23 against texas he caught two for 15 against iowa state when they really needed somebody to make a play uh and then he caught two for 10 against oklahoma state um he he wasn't a guy that's going to produce consistently and be your star receiver like cd lamb became over his the course of his three seasons. Uh, and, and so that's why I said, yeah, clearly he caught 48 passes, 40 passes last year. He's the guy that comes back with the most experience on this team, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm not convinced that he's going to be the guy that emerges as the top receiver on this Oklahoma team next year. Yeah. I guess an OU fan would, would hope that it's either a guy like Jaden Hazelwood or Theo Weiss guys that come in with the, the hype, the talents and, you know, and Jaden Hazelwood's, um, pers- 
from, from his perspective, uh, somebody that at least showed it early on consistently in the season last year. I mean, the ability was on display early on in the season when it came to Jaden Hazelwood, when he got his opportunities, didn't really get that many um, later in the year, although he had one stolen from him in that non-PI call in the Peach Bowl. What, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to I'm gonna move on with my life. Um, I guess we can kind of transition into who uh, – I mean, we, we talked about defense. We talked about offense. Theo Howard, um, Ryan Jones, linebacker, jumped into the transfer portal, never to be seen again. I'm just kidding. He'll end up somewhere else. But Alex Grinch continues the the process, the processing of players that don't fit his scheme. Uh, Mike Stoops players that are too small, not athletic enough, not good enough. I mean, I don't know. I didn't really have that high of an opinion of Ryan Jones when he was playing at OU. But um, some of that could have just been the team sucked and – individual talents were overshadowed but I mean the thing that I'm looking forward to as we get into winter workouts and and spring football in the next few months John um, I I just need to see I need to see something out of the secondary I need to see something truly special because year one I get it so much had to go right so much improvement had to come, and it did. You, but you, you're not going to probably be able to do everything that you want. And one of the things that Grinch wanted to do was force and create turnovers. Now, you can kind of get away with saying, oh, you created a lot of potential turnovers this year, whether it be through pass rushing and forcing the quarterback to make quick throws, whether it be on defensive backs br- making good breaks on the ball, getting in position to pick them off. The problem was they didn't finish a, finish a lot of them. I don't I wish I would have kept track of how many potential interceptions that OU dropped this year. And probably one of them would have kept them undefeated going into the Peach Bowl, that uh, Trey Brown drop at uh, in Manhattan and Kansas State. I need to see something more out of the secondary, more than what we saw this past year where they were commendable. You know, Delarian Turniel, pretty good. Patrick Fields, pretty good. Parnell Motley is probably the most impressive of the bunch. Uh, Trey Brown had his ups and downs. Jaden Davis was a freshman, so um, once he hit that freshman wall, there was really no coming back, but he certainly has talent. I just need to see something different out of the secondary in a positive way because you're not going to have Ronnie Perkins for the first five games, and that's going to affect your pass rushing. So the ability to cover, to turn your head, turn your hips, make plays on the ball, and make football plays once the ball is in your hands, that's important. Uh, I would agree. I would agree. Guys need to, guys are still, you know, Alex Grinch said something that, that resonates with me. He said it after the Baylor game. He talked about guys on this defense. He said he underestimated, um, I'm I'm paraphrasing here. He underestimated some of the scars that these players have had. Some of the ghosts that may be left over. Um, that he's having to deal with. Oh yeah. Now think about that. He he didn't necessarily he didn't name Mike Stoops as he threw him under the bus, but I mean he totally threw him under the bus, basically saying these guys are beaten down. These guys' uh, confidence is is shot. Uh, when you see a Ryan Jones enter the transfer portal after coming in with so much promise, and and look at the defensive backs who played at one point or another um chance sylvie comes to mind um oh darn it who was the kid that got run over by uh by jeff robert barnes Josh Jacobs. robert barnes comes to mind guys who showed a lot of promise early on in their career 
hey, this kid can play. Hey, this kid looks good. Hey, this kid, I think he's going to be good later in his career. And he, they just get, they just become, they get lost on the depth chart, and you never see them again. I think that speaks directly to the scars and the ghosts that Alex Grinch was having to fight or de- defeat or um, put put out fires or build guys up or what, however you want to characterize it. That was a that was a real battle that this new that this new coaching staff had to deal with. Kerry Cooks is gone now, guys. Tim Kish is gone now, guys. We're better. We we can be better football players than you were last year or the year after. That's what this coaching staff has had to. That's the approach that they've had to take mentally with some of these guys. And some of them, like Robert Barnes, uh, some of them maybe like Ryan Jones. Just they never are able to rebuild that. They're never able to recapture that trajectory that they were on early in their careers. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's too bad that Ryan Jones's um, Oklahoma career didn't turn out like he wanted it to, but because of the beauty of the transfer portal, he can now go somewhere else and fulfill what he thinks is his potential. And, and Oklahoma can move on and say, we're going to recruit this player, or we're going to change this player over to that position. And we're going to get better at that spot. So I, I think it's a win, win, you know, Ryan Jones going into the transfer portal. I think the transfer portal in general is a win-win. Uh, but but this is something that moving forward, Oklahoma can get better um, because, as we said, 2018, they were 114th in the country in total defense, 129th in pass defense. How? Where else are they going to go? Of course they're going to get better. The problem is, or the, the, the challenge, I guess, is now how much better can they get? Can they get on to that? next level can they win a playoff game can they get the right kind of players in there that will allow them to win a playoff game and pursue a national championship yeah so i guess alex Grinch just basically needs to go fetch a priest so that he can exercise the demons and the ghosts of mike stoops from the university of oklahoma locker room and the offices because um it's going to be something that's going to haunt the team this season this coming season and probably a little bit of the next season, unless Grinch just hits it out of the park um, recruiting. It doesn't really seem like that's going to be the case this particular year. But, uh, I mean, that's that's the, that's the way it is. Recruiting is a long time. It's not a yeah. one-year fix. It's a long game. It's the long game. you got to play the long game. Now, here's the thing. We, we talked at the top about uh, 5'10.5", 184 being the average size of the OU defensive back on their two deep this year. 5'10". 184. When you've got DBs at LSU that are 6'1", 193, and Clemson that are 6'198", okay, you're fighting an uphill battle there. Well, get this. The 2020 recruiting class of Oklahoma's defensive backs come in at 6'3", 5'11", 6'2", 6'3", plus a 6'1 athlete and a 6'3 athlete. Hey! Ho! Hey now, what's going on here? Those are big DBs that are coming in. You're damn right they are, and those are the kind of guys that Oklahoma is trying to get to to take that next step. Now, in like a year or so, John, if I if if we're still doing the Inside OU podcast, which I don't know why we wouldn't be unless you and I both are you know running the country or doing something more important. Um, <laughs> if I come on this podcast and say, "Gosh darn it." And I uh, didn't cuss because I don't want to have to edit this in post. But gosh darn it, John, we have too big. Our defensive backs are too big, and they can't cover these five foot eight slot receivers from Texas Tech, and that's why OU lost. And it annoys me. Why don't we recruit better for this conference? 
If I say that, then you can reach through the Skype machine, or if we're doing it in person, you can reach over and slap me in the face and remind me that this is a this is for a bigger thing. It's a catch twenty two. That's all I can say is is being in this conference, competing for the Big Twelve Conference Championship and trying to win it every year like Oklahoma does. And yet having aspirations to win a national championship. I'm, I'm sorry, but those are two different things. They, they yeah, just look, are if, two different things. And it's a catch-22 for OU. If if you just trade Alabama for Oklahoma and Alabama goes to the Big 12, OU goes to the SEC, over the last five years, Alabama would have probably won five consecutive Big 12 championships too. The yep. only difference that Alabama would probably have over the last five years than they did in the SEC and I mean, obviously Alabama didn't go undefeated every single year the last five years, but you would see Alabama lose to teams that you that are more like WTF losses. Whereas losers. when Alabama loses in the SEC, they're losing to Auburn, who's talented. They're losing to Georgia, who's talented. You know, they're they're losing to teams that you don't necessarily go, wow, I can't believe Alabama lost. Even those Ole Miss losses. Ole Miss had a ton of talent that they were paying, and not, that's why they're on probation now. Um if Alabama's in the Big 12, they're losing a game each year to a Kansas State, to a Texas Tech. And it's because the flag football, the air raid, whatever philosophy you want to describe it as in the Big 12, it just the crazy WTF factor is much is much higher in this conference than it is in the SEC where it's a little bit more uh chalk if that makes sense. Talent usually wins out because most offenses in the SEC run vanilla offenses. And when you basically say, no, we're just going to try to out-athlete you, Alabama, you're going to lose that battle because they've got mm-hmm. better athletes than you. That's right. Um, let me ask you, do you think – okay, so Oklahoma suffered a, a WTF loss this year going to Manhattan, Kansas and losing to Kansas State. Do you think Chris Kleiman looked at his receiver core – and looked at the OU defensive backs and said, guys, we're 6'1", 6'2", 6'0", across the board. They're 5'7", 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". We've got a, a, a size advantage on them that we can exploit. And and they did it. They got Malik Knowles back, and, and they were able to do that. They were able to exploit a lot of those individual matchups where the receiver, Dalton Shane or whoever it was, came out and said, I can beat this guy. He's 5'10", I'm 6'1". Yeah. He's 5'11", we... I'm 6'2". Chris Kleiman looked at that and said, boys, we got a distinct advantage here. If if that was an, if they if they had a bunch of 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", DBs, he wouldn't have even considered such a thing. Uh, uh, Their wide receivers beating Oklahoma's defensive backs, he would have had to look for other ways to beat Oklahoma. But that was one way, and they exploited the hell out of it that day, and that's why they suffered that shocking loss. Yeah, and I think we may we may have even talked about this on the post-game show, so it was fresh in at least my mind, and I brought it up. Everybody, when they talk about that game, they talk about Kansas State's ability to run the football against um, Oklahoma's front. And while that was probably one of the more deciding factors in Kansas State's upset victory of OU. What really did it for me was exactly what you talked about. They won that game because they converted so many third and longs. How did they convert so many third and longs? Because they had that mentality of our guys are bigger and taller than their defensive backs. We're just going to have them run to the about a yard past the first down marker and then turn the f*** around. And now i got to edit that. <laughs> and... What's what's Trey Brown at six feet five foot eleven going to do to me if I'm six foot two? You just throw a jump Trey, ball. That's yes. what Texas did in the Cotton Bowl last year. That's what a lot of teams will do. Iowa State did that two years ago when they had uh, what's his name? It wasn't Alan Lazard? Uh, uh, H- H- Alan Lazard, Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler. 
it's just a whole bunch of just throw jump balls up in the air and it just becomes you know, it's it's like when you're I don't have a sibling but if I had a younger brother as a kid and we're playing basketball I'm just going to rebound over him by standing there and being taller than him it just becomes that mm-hmm. simple and you, you fix that in recruiting it no longer becomes comical on third and longs where OU fans go oh god they've got us right where they want us now yep Yep, just turn, go to the stick, turn around, throw a lob ball. Doesn't have to be a great. Now listen, Skyler Thompson threw some great passes that day. He looked about five times in that game. He looked like Dan Marino. I was like, where the hell did that throw come from? Yeah, he. But, now he yeah, balled no, out. He on the whole, out. absolutely. But on the whole, there were times when he was throwing stuff up into a crowd or throwing stuff up on the sideline, and, and his big tall receivers because they had position, they're able to go up and grab a simple rebound, like you said. And there was nothing Oklahoma's 5'10 defensive backs could do about it. And that that's what Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, and Alex Grinch and those guys in recruiting are trying to address. Uh, I'd like to end on a happy note, but there's really not that much. I mean, we, we talked about the Kobe McKenzie um, commitment. Lincoln Riley did tweet out the eye emoji. He doesn't, yep. do, he doesn't do that for verbal commitments that aren't. I mean. Big time. Well, I mean, verbal commitments, I feel like he only does that for verbal commitments that are a little bit older. I don't recall him ever doing one this early. Oh, yeah, that's true. He recruited Spencer, right about that. He recruited Spencer Rattler for three years, and I don't I don't remember knowing three years before Spencer Rattler arrived that he was going to be the quarterback at OU. But I may be remembering that wrong. But um, that's probably um, who the eye emoji is for, and I'm just thinking too hard. But is there, Vandegrift did. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was a sophomore at the time, going into his junior year. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, it, anything else that we need to hit on, John, before we Well, we could talk about the uh, 2020 uh, Big 12 champion Oklahoma State Cowboys. Oh, no, no, no. According to some people, national championship game participants. Well. <laughs> Oklahoma State. <laughs> I'd say that's going a little too far. I do think that, that uh, Oklahoma State, now that they have, it's a good thing. Yes, it's a good arguably thing. Arguably, yeah, sure. They have arguably the best running back in the country, saying no to the NFL and coming back for his junior, his senior season, and they have arguably the best wide receiver in the country, saying no to the NFL and doing his rehab, his knee rehab at OSU and coming back for his junior season. In uh, Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, man, not only listen. Not only do they have those two guys, they've got a quarterback back in Spencer Sanders who was really bad with the football this year. Well, guess what? He's not going to be a redshirt freshman next year. He's going to be a lot better, a lot more secure, a lot smarter with the football. And not only that, not only do they have the big three, as the, as Oklahoma State likes to, to profess that they have the big three because they have produced a lot of big threes over the years, they've got like 90% of their two deep returning. 93% on defense, 86% on offense. They bring back uh, 80% of their starters. 18. They bring back 18 returning starters next year, most in the Big 12. I'm telling you, uh, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. I know this is a Sooner podcast, and people are going to unsubscribe and, and flip me off while they're doing it. But I, I got to think the smart money right now is on Oklahoma State to, to win Big 12 in 2020. We'll see because Mike Gundy has to get out of his own way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, but I I tweeted out talent wise, I'm telling you, 
No, talent-wise, I mean, it's certainly there, and especially like the offensive line. I think they have four of their five returning starters, and mm-hmm. their freshman is projected to be pretty good. I can't remember what the kid's name is. Bray? I can't remember. Um, but there's going to be talent and experience. Bryce you know, Bray? Yeah. Bryce Bray. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, ten, uh, 10 starters on defense back. I mean – yeah, like the experience is going. New to be- offensive coordinator, who the, the offensive coordinator Sean Gleason was part of the problem last year. Just saying. Well, the other part of the problem, and look, I want to get this out there already because, um, as a fan of college sports, I selfishly want to see players return because I like watching them play in college. Sure. And I, I will say I was shocked that Chuba Hubbard came back. I will not be in the in the class of I think that it's stupid. Because if you say that it's stupid, like I, I kind of get it, but I feel like if you're saying it's stupid, you're just automatically assuming that he could get hurt or everything could just be an absolute consequence and his NFL future is going to be immediately in jeopardy. If he wants to come back for whatever reason, I welcome it. It's, it's the right decision because it's the decision that he came to, and I want to hope that he doesn't get hurt, that he increases whatever draft stock, that maybe he felt like he got a two – two or three round grade and he wants to be a first round pick. If that's, if that's his goal, then great. It's good for OSU. It's good for the conference. Um, in my opinion, I think really what it does is it just increases the chances that he gets all American honors, Doak Walker honors, and probably even Heisman honors because he's going to have the preseason hype now. Now that he had a 2000 yard season and he comes back, he's going to be very much in the conversation for those postseason awards if he stays healthy and the production is there because a lot of those awards, it just depends on do people know your name in the offseason? If they have to learn it like midway through the year um, and your team hasn't won a ton of games like OSU didn't, you're probably not going to win anything, which is unfortunate, but that's just how the games play. That's why Curtis Lofton didn't win the uh, Butkus Award in 2007 because he wasn't on any of those little fancy preseason lists because no one knew who he was. He was a new time starter, but I'm glad Chuba Hubbard's back for college football fan purposes. He does make OSU better. Um, if OU gets tested that much more, it's better for the long run, as we saw in this Peach Bowl where they were not prepared to play LSU by any means. But mm-hmm. I'll say this. The other problem, other side of the coin, other than Mike Gundy's conservativeness, his softness, and Sean Gleason's play calling, I get that people are excited about Spencer Sanders. And I get the prospect of his potential. He's athletic. He's fast. He's got a strong arm. Guy likes to turn the ball over, though. And I feel like people will just put this... I They'll just throw this thing onto a freshman quarterback where all those mistakes that he made, they're just going to magically disappear because he's a year older. I've, OU fans did that with Rhett Bomar going into his sophomore year. Rhett Bomar, extremely talented. I remember before he got suspended, and granted, this was... 15-year-old Brady at the time, but I was pretty plugged in. But I remember thinking, we're, we're like anointing Rhett Bomar as like one of the best quarterbacks in the country after he could barely throw the football forward. Um, now, the, the talent around him was going to be better and more experienced, and that would have helped. And he very well could have done that because he was talented. But I feel like we just assume that a freshman going to a sophomore at quarterback with some athleticism is just going to magically be better and not turn the football over because that's, what's going to help help or hold OSU back is if Spencer Sanders isn't healthy or if he turns the football over and he did that, he did that quite frequently in OSU's losses this past season. Well, he, uh, Brady, I'll just, I'll, I'm not going out on a limb here. He will be better. 
he he's got more games under his belt. He's more experienced. He's seen what a Division One defense looks like now. He'll be better. He knows how to study. He knows how to game plan. He knows how to glean you know tendencies from film and things like that. That's what experience does for you. Uh, you're a young guy. I get that. I'm an old guy. See. I'm not nearly as good as you, but I've got way more experience. Hello, fellow kids. Uh, <laughs> hello, fellow kids. Now, <laughs> and, and then consider, I don't know if this is going to hurt him or help him, but he's got Chuba Hubbard, for instance. Let's just go to Chuba real quick. He's got every luxury on earth if you're a quarterback. Well, no question. Yeah, I mean, he's got the best running back in the country. He's got the best receiver, in the country, best high ball receiver who, who's got to come back from an ACL. I, I get that. And he's got complimentary receivers around him as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But uh, let's let's talk about Chuba real quick. Is this going to hurt him or is it going to help him? He's got Oklahoma State versus Oregon State in Stillwater. Then he hosts Tulsa. Then he hosts Western Illinois. Then you start Big 12 play. Uh, TCU's defense isn't frightening. Iowa State's defense lost a bunch of seniors. Kansas is Kansas. Oklahoma's defense is still a little bit in rebuild mode, although I've been very impressed, obviously. We've said a million times with what Alex Grinch has done. Texas Tech isn't any good. Baylor lost like every senior known to man, uh, and they got a, quite a few juniors. But uh, you know they don't have all those seniors back. Plus, some of the juniors that they, or one of the juniors that they had, he's gone to the NFL now. James Lynch, West Virginia, they play a little bit of defense, but they're not going to be any good next year. Kansas State, they lost a bunch of players. They lost. They're the they're the least experienced team in the Big Twelve next year, and they lose the most players this year. Texas, good luck with that. I mean. He could rush for 2,500 yards next year, given just what he did this year, and the quarterback's going to be better, and assuming Tyler Wallace is healthy for the entire season. He could go sick numbers next year. So I, I just think that's uh, that's a lot to ask of the rest of the Big 12 Conference. Listen, I think Oklahoma is uh, – I think the championship game is going to come down between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, and that's going to be damn fun to cover that thing down in Arlington. And if that's but the I'm case. Not putting it, I was just going to oh. say, if that's the case, it's kind of fortunate that the Bedlam game lies in the middle of the season this season. Yes, absolutely. Who wants back-to-back, right? No, we're going to get one in October, and then we're going to get a rematch uh, first week of December. Plenty but, of time for the losing uh, team to make adjustments and to get better. Exactly. Yeah. I think Oklahoma I think Oklahoma State, I'm calling it. I called it in my column on uh, when, when Chuba announced. I'm, I'm calling Oklahoma State to win the Big 12 this year, 2020. Well, I'm holding you accountable, and when you are proven wrong, John, you will be reminded. Please, bring it up and throw it in my face. <laughs> Why are you credentialed? How dare you be wrong? Yeah, what a joke. Take his credential and his Heisman vote. Take his job. Take his radio job and his writing job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Robert Allen's going to be mad at you. He's going to be like, you got my hopes up, John. <laughs> you got my hopes up. Robert's the one that said they're going to win the national Technically, he said they could play in that game. Play in that game. That's right. Monday night. They could be the one playing in that game. I'm not going to go quite that far when I, when I look at the – yes, I think Oklahoma State probably has the best overall talent in the Big 12. I don't think they're on the stage yet to compete with the Clemsons of the world. Clemson's going to be sick next year. God, sick. Yeah. Uh, LSU is going to be good. Bama's going to be good. As you said, I think LSU is going to take a significant step back. Um, and I don't have. I'm not one of those guys that goes out and compiles a, a way too early top 25. I just know that LSU is not going to be as good without Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. Iowa State's not going to be higher than Georgia in the preseason top 10. I can tell you that much, Brett. That would be my guess. <laughs> hey, look, I have a lot of respect for Iowa State. Don't get me wrong, but uh, 
Um, well, I guess let's end with this. Let's do quick hits uh, in the Big 12. Um, and just tell me, you can give me a sentence or two. I don't care. Um, I like hearing you talk. You've got uh, you've got nice $20 words, John. Um, <laughs> tell me if you think they're going to be better or worse than last season. So we'll start, we'll start at the bottom. Let's start with Texas. <laughs> <laughs> start at the bottom with the, Texas. The only team that won a, a bowl game in the Big 12. That's right. We'll the Big them, 12's uh, tent pole uh, franchise which is, is the why Texas they, Longhorns. Which is why they cracked the top 25 probably in the AP. Can you imagine? Yeah, number twenty-five. Can you imagine Bob Bowlesby in the uh, Big Twelve media day next year uh, talking about the Big 12's bowl performances as he's done the past couple of years? Uh, the Texas Longhorns uh, showed in the bowl game that they're a top twenty-five team. Uh, that's all he's got to go on because he's been leaning on those bowl stats for the which, last which I two, think two is or stupid. Three years. I've said that on this podcast <laughs> that bowl performance by a conference is stupid. Because yeah. you have silly matchups. Iowa State did not belong on the same field in a postseason game against Notre Dame. Come on. Yeah, come on. That's not a, that's not a good matchup at all. Uh, uh, honestly, though, Brady, from what I saw during the regular season, I didn't think Texas belonged on the field with Utah. I yeah, thought Utah was we, a far superior we, team. We talked about that, though. Like Utah had the superior season, no less. But we've seen teams like that, no matter where they're from, their playoff or their BCS championship hopes get dashed, and then they go yeah. into a bowl game, which is meaningless to them, and especially on the road, basically, against Texas, and a team with talent, we've seen those better, more superior teams get drummed in these bowl games because they don't care. Now, Utah right. is probably a program that should care because you're playing a blue blood name school in Texas. You should always hey. care no matter how low the bowl is. If OU is in the Sun Bowl, but they're playing... Uh, Miami, you know, just some name program, and they don't come out motivated, there's a problem. Utah has been there when they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Exactly. Utah has been there. Utah, if they're not interested in playing Texas in the Texas Bowl, they need to get over themselves, or Alamo Bowl, whatever that was. They need to get over themselves because Utah has been there on the other side of that coin. So yeah. that, that's a – I'm not saying that's a bad argument to make. I'm saying if that's the reason they lost and played like junk that night against Texas, that's on them. No, I mean, no question. I, I just think Texas, I mean, they play that game 10 times. I think Utah probably wins the majority of those games. I think Utah was just a better team, bet more balanced. We saw it all season long. These one-off bowl matchups, yeah, sometimes they can tell you a story. Sometimes they can tell you bullshit. But, um, okay, we, we got Texas out of the way. So, well, actually, did you even tell me better or worse? No, I didn't tell you anything on Texas yet. Um, here's the thing. They got to – a new defensive coordinator. I'm not sure how you say the name. Uh, wait a minute. Who's the defensive coordinator? They hired Jay Vallai. He's going to be the. Uh, Isn't it the head coach from Rutgers that helped yeah, out Herman before the console? And that. That's right. That's yeah, right. I, it, I just I don't have his name in front of me. Um, but they also. Oh, Chris Ash. Chris, Chris Ash. Ash. That's right. I forgot Chris about my that. Ash. Oh, I don't like that at all. Um, but <laughs> then, but then you ask if they're going to be better or worse. They hired Mike Yersich to be their offensive coordinator. So, that's so a that whole bunch of yikes. That's a whole bunch that, of yikes, dog. It, well, it literally asks the question. It, it perpetuates the question. Are they going to be better or are they going to be worse? Mike Yersich <laughs> is their offensive coordinator. I have no idea. Yeah, because Sam I'm not Ellinger. going to sit here and say they're better. Sam Ellinger is definitely the quarterback I want in a um, Yersich offense. 
Just not only that, but what what is what is Yursich? Yursich has never had Yursich. a running quarterback. You're, yeah, Yursich has never had a running quarterback. What's he going to do with Sam Ellinger? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch the, uh, the the Tom Herman train continue down whatever tracks it's been on. Uh, uh, better or worse, again, neutral. That's one eight because five because eight if five is on the table, man. Yeah, I mean, no question. I agree, and they could still very well win the game in the Cotton Bowl because of the experience of Sam Ellinger versus the inexperience of probably Spencer Rattler. And we saw a very, very seasoned, inexperienced quarterback in Jalen Hurts who had played in games just as big as the Cotton Bowl look absolutely rattled at times. So I can only imagine what Spencer Rattler could potentially look like if something snowballs. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. Neutral, 8-5, and about the same as they were even though Sam Ellinger was coming back, and that was a shocking development. Uh, everybody was surprised to see him forego the NFL draft. So uh, let's stay in the state of Texas, and uh, let's go to uh, Baylor. Now, they're still currently looking for a head coach. Yeah. Um, Justin Fuente has been reported as being one of the more top ca- leading candidates for the job. Um, I've talked to some people in my group chat about this, and they're down on that potential hire. I, I'm more... I guess enthused about it if that's the way that they're able to go. Um, just because Fuente has experience being in the region, obviously being from Oklahoma, playing at Oklahoma before transferring. Um, he's not coached in this area and it's been quite a long time since he's actually worked in this area. But to me, if you're a, a smaller Texas school, you just, you have to have experience um, coaching in this area or playing in this area if not, if you're Matt Rule and you're out of the area, you've got to be smart enough to go, well, I'm going to hire a bunch of badass assistants that know the area more than I do. And that's still a tough skill to do because some coaches come in with egos and say, well, I it, this works for me. I don't care about Texas high school football enough to want to cater to them. So um, I guess it's kind of hard to prognosticate Baylor because they don't have a head coach now. But off of yeah. what they've lost and talent they've got coming back, I mean, where, where do you land? Obviously, it's probably you want to be- know. You you want to know better or worse? Yeah. No chance. No chance. Zero percent chance they're better. Exactly. Zero percent chance. So you you can't be Baylor and lose Matt Rule uh, and lose your coordinators and uh, lose your All American defensive lineman and possibly lose your quarterback Charlie Brewer who's uh, three three concussions in the past whatever it is year. Um, you can't you can't be better. I mean all all credit to Baylor for for doing what they've done the last two years the improvements that they made under Matt Rule but. Matt Rule gone, Baylor's hopes of winning a, a Big 12 championship are gone. And they were in the Big 12 championship last year. They weren't just good. They were really, really good. And so, no, they're not They're not on that list. They're, they're trending down. Fair enough. Texas Tech. I, I'm a little bit higher on Matt Wells than I think a lot of people are as a, as a coach. There, there's something about him. And I, I like the way Texas Tech played all season without, you know, Alan Bowman being quarterback now. Um Will Alan Bowman be healthy next year? That's the million-dollar mm-hmm. question. And if he's yeah. healthy all year, then Tech will, I think, just be better just because of that. Um, maybe not in terms of win-loss record because the talent just isn't there. But um, I, I like Matt Wells. I like the direction Texas Tech is trying to go. But, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's just kind of neutral, kind of like Texas, a lot more of the same. Yeah. Well, here's here's a couple of things about them. Um, Jet Duffy jumped into the transfer portal. Tried to go to Tulane, decided he didn't want to go to Tulane. He's still, I think, in the transfer portal. So he's he's looking for a – he wants out. Jeff Duffy, gone. Uh, he has said several times, I'm looking to start my career somewhere else, restart my career at another place. So then it's on Alan Bowman. 
who's gone out with various injuries over the last two years, like career-threatening type injury, life-threatening at times type injuries that he's suffered. If he's capable of finishing the season, I think Texas Tech is definitely trending up. I'm with you. I like Matt Wells. I think he's a seriously good coach. I think he's a builder, and he's going to get things done the way he wants them to get done. Uh, he's going to he's going to make them into an eight nine game winner every year. I think this year is going to be tough for two reasons. One, they lost Douglas Coleman, who basically led the nation in interceptions this year, and they lost the best linebacker in the Big Twelve, Jordan Brooks. Both yep. guys, both those guys are seniors. Now, <clears throat> here's where it gets a little sketchy. Their new defensive coordinator, I think, is the defensive coordinator. Was he hired as the defensive coordinator? Or is he going to be an assistant coach? Todd Orlando. Oh, yes. I, I don't know if he's going to be the full-time coordinator. I, I haven't looked too deep into that. I just saw his name pop up going to Texas Tech. This would not surprise me if Todd Orlando reinvents his genius at Texas Tech. You know what you, you know what I'm saying? You leave Austin, Texas, where it is a, a, a soup a burnt orange soup every day of outsiders coming in and uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey and sideshow Bob and sideshow Mel and sideshow McConaughey middle and, fingers and, on live TV, John children are yeah, watching. Well, and, and you've got Longhorn network sticking its cameras up your butt everywhere you go. I could see where if you're a football coach and you go to Texas thinking this is going to be great and you get there and you're like, Oh my God! This is a this is a train wreck. Mac Brown once Longhorn Network came around. Mac Brown went from being a really good coach to being a eh, eh, kind of a coach, you know, kind of a iffy. Yeah, I'm not really that involved. I'm not really that invested. Listen, you go to Texas and things change. So so I'm just trying to sum it up. Todd Orlando going to Texas Tech could be a really good thing for Todd Orlando. So maybe it's a good thing for Texas Tech that he's going there too. Fair enough. Let's go to TCU. Yeah, this is the one. This is I, I a hot know. seat year for Gary Patterson, which is weird yeah. to say because he built this program. Yeah, I, I have a hard time going there about about hot seat. I think I think Gary remains one of the best um, co coaches overall in the Big Twelve Conference. Here's the hard part for them: their quarterback Max Duggan. You talk about a turnover machine. He went from being a guy who didn't turn the football at, o at all, didn't turn the football over at all early in his freshman year, to being a guy who averaged a turnover about once every eleven plays or something like that. He was he got he, he kind of got shell shocked or whatever you want to say. He's the quarterback against uh, OU, right? Yeah, and he's yeah. a guy that he's if you a throw guy a, that it, if you throw an interception to Buki Radley Hiles, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> he's a guy that's got. Um, a lot of moxie. I think he's a very good player. It's fast but, as hell. And, and, and he'll be better as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. I really believe that. But they lose Jalen Rager. They lose their best defensive lineman. Um, I think they're going to, they, <laughs> I think they return five starters back on defense. What they're known for is defense every year. It's going to be tough for them to be competitive in the Big 12 this year. I saw a video on Twitter speaking of Jalen Rager, and it was like it was obviously a sarcastic video, but it was based in reality because it was like Jalen Rager's 2019 season, and there was like fire emojis. And it was basically a collage of him running go routes, and the ball was always overthrown. Yeah. <laughs> Jalen, you you made your bed. You could have went to OU. Um, and and last year it would have been Jalen Hurts overthrowing him. Well, he would have had Baker and Kyler throwing balls to him in his career. 
and he probably would have went to the NFL early, right? Is yep. that how that works? Yep. I don't know. Oh, well, he'll still go to the NFL and be pretty damn good. He's awesome. So uh, trending up or trending down, they were five or seven, five and seven last year. Yeah. I think that, I think they'll be about the same. Whole bunch of neutral in the Big 12 so far, except for Baylor, which is our clear cut. Like, they're not going to be as good. Um, what other schools are there in Texas? Is that it? TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, Texas. Yeah, you're four for four. Yeah, okay, good call. Um, OSU, I think we both agreed up. They're trending uh-huh. upward. Um, Definitely. We already talked about them. Uh, Kansas, less miles, year two experience. Anything to be excited for other than it was definitely a different Kansas team. They were much more prepared, and I think we knew that going into the less miles experience, that he's a great motivator. Um, he's a good coach, and it was going to help the program. I just don't know what the ceiling is here. So, like, they could very well be better, but that might mean one yes. more win or the right. same amount of wins, but they just don't look comically bad all the time. They should have beat Texas last year. So, I mean, it, it could have been a much better season for less miles in year one. That's true. Um, they had they lost they, they left two games out there. I think on the table they could have been five and seven last year. Instead, they were three and nine. Yeah. Uh, they get Puka back as of oh, January. No. What is January fifteenth? They get Puka back. No. Um, w- w- we'll see what's uh, we'll see what that portends for the future for Kansas if he's able to make it to the season and and play the entire season. Uh, they have five starters back on defense again. All this starters back and two deep stuff I'm telling you about is contingent upon the transfer transfer portal between now and September. So take it with a grain of salt. As of right now, they have five starters back on defense, which was kind of their signature last year. Carter Stanley was a senior, uh, graduated the quarterback. He's they're, they're now looking for another quarterback. Les Miles, year two. He's done some work in recruiting. I'm not going to pretend I know all the guys that he signed or anything like that, but he's he's clearly trending up in recruiting and if you're trending up in recruiting then your program is trending up so i expect kansas to be better than three and nine kansas state they're difficult to me because obviously yeah. we all like climbing we think he's a fantastic coach but they lose quite a bit and it kind of sucks they do they, for, the, they for a new a head coach yeah they lose a lot um, they lose. Uh, they 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 only bring back three starters back on offense. Yikes. Um, so so yeah. So Chris Chris Kleiman, uh, who we all think is a seriously good football coach, next next year twenty twenty is going to be the year that we determine just how good of a football coach he is. Because he say what you want about Bo Snyder, he left he left him quite a few players. He left him a, a roster. He left Chris Kleiman a roster that could go eight and four. And, and I think that was good work by Chris Kleiman, but it was also solid. You know, those guys that, that uh, you know, a lot of seniors, uh, I went up there spring of their, what would have been their junior year. I went up there and interviewed a bunch of them for a sporting news story. And those guys, I'm telling you, character, quality, you know, you can tell sometimes when you're interviewing somebody uh, what kind of person they are. Um, and, and you can tell sometimes that sometimes they're just not very mature. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes they're, afraid of the moment. They had a lot of really mature, really level-headed guys on that, on that roster. And they're all, they were all seniors last year and they're all gone. And he's got to replace all of those guys. So not only do you replace football players, you replace guys who've been through the mill guys who were leaders, seniors, you know, and, and were fighting for the program. Those guys are all gone now. So I expect Kansas state to take a step back. 
Agreed. Let's go a little bit further north to the land of Iowa and the Cyclones, Iowa State. Uh, disappointing showing in the who gives a <laughs> against Notre Dame. Um, but then again, we already kind of said that that was just a bad matchup regardless. Um, I, again, I, I don't really know. Like, there's just the talent and the talent that they're losing. Matt Campbell, clearly a good coach, so he's going to be able to find guys to put them in positions to um, be successful. I just don't know. I mean, they get OU at home, so that's going to be good for them. Um, they get, I think they get Texas at home too. I think that I think Iowa State's one of those teams that plays OU in Texas at home in the same year. Um, they have to go to Stillwater after losing to OSU in Ames, which was a surprising loss. Um, I, I just don't know. Has, in my opinion, it just it seems like Campbell has maxed out at Iowa State. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Now, listen, Brock Purdy, uh, did he lead the Big Twelve last year in passing? Yeah, I think yards per game. He was the top quarterback in the in the Big Twelve. Brock Purdy's a, a special kind of player, special talent. He's back. Okay, so you bring back arguably the top quarterback in the Big Twelve. That we've I seen. would probably go in a different direction. Yeah, that we've seen. Sure. Uh, in terms of experience and and playmaking and moxie and and you know guys, guys he's done some things. Perhaps you forgot. I think Sam Brock Ellinger, Purdy's up there. Perhaps you forgot Sam Ellinger uh, did not go to the NFL draft though, John. I just want to point that oh, out. I forgot he came back to Texas yeah. this year, didn't he? He's, he's not going to be the number he's one overall pick. He's back. Um, he's back in Texas. Is back. We're still waiting for. <laughs> Top dog I is guess. back too. So yeah. Top dog is back. I forgot about that. Yay. So. So you bring back Brock, Brock Purdy. You bring back Charlie Kohler, who's the arguably the best tight end in the country. Chase Allen is a tight end. He was what second team All Big Twelve, I think. Uh, Brace Hall is is a guy that uh, is is a you know as a running back that you can build around, I think. Uh, but then you start talking about the guys who were left. You lost an entire offensive line that is se- that was senior laden. Uh, that's going to be a hell of a rebuild. The defense was really good, I thought, last year. One of the top three defenses in the Big 12. They've got a bunch of guys gone. I think they returned six or seven starters, but they've got a bunch of guys gone that were playmakers. So, man, I don't know. I, last year was disappointing for Iowa State. They were supposed to – remember, I told you, they were going to win nine games minimum and ended up seven and five and lost their bowl game. So, uh, I'm sure Matt Campbell was disappointed, but I was one of the ones saying that – Iowa State was going to be the uh, the team to challenge Texas for the uh, for the runner up spot to Oklahoma. It was going to be Oklahoma, Texas. If not Texas, then Iowa State, and for sure, if not Iowa State, then Baylor. Remember, I told you that. Well, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was right. Well, the few Oklahoma State fans that are listening to this podcast are just biting their fingernails now since you proclaimed them twenty twenty Big Twelve champs with that track record. <laughs> hey, I picked the winner. <laughs> I picked the winner of the Big Twelve the last three years. I, 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 Pretty I, good I, that. I right? guess. I guess you've got that. I guess I should be biting my fingernails that OSU will be beating OU in the Big Twelve championship. Um, uh, it's the it's the runner up that I have always have a problem picking. <laughs> um, West Virginia, they suck. Um, yeah, I think Neil Brown still got a little bit of rebuilding to do. Here's the deal with them: what are they going to do at quarterback? Jarrett Dagey was the better quarterback, obviously. Jet Duffy the second- go there. <laughs> Duffy. Oh my God! What a train wreck that would be. Uh, Jarrett Deggy was the better quarterback than than uh, our man uh, Austin Kendall. No doubt about it. Austin, he, uh, Al, uh, Brown Neil Brown picked the wrong quarterback to start the season, but 
is that going to hold up? I mean, is is Austin Kendall done? I think, or is he, he going to is he going to rise up and compete again? That's one of the consequences. And, and maybe of, win the job back. That's one of the consequences of the transfer portal. I feel like if you get a now Austin Kendall himself of his own playing prowess is not a big name, but he comes from a big school from a big head coach, and I feel like there's pressure when yeah. you have an immediately eligible quarterback that transfers to your school there's pressure that you need to start him because if you don't you're just going to go right to him if the guy that you choose doesn't have success and if the transfer quarterback doesn't have success then it's a train wreck yeah. sometimes and there's works- pressure on the, on the kid too exactly. well you know all the fans are like well the media yeah. we've got oklahoma's backup this year the, kyler murray was the heisman Trophy best player we got his backup this year he's gonna you know well yeah. Jared Daggy might have some, should have something to say about that, right? So, yeah, no, there's a lot of lot of uh, that's you're right. That's a that's a kind of a caveat in the transfer portal. I think they'll just I think they'll increase just because Baylor's going to fall so far. Yeah, West Virginia will be better. West Virginia will be better because they return I think nine starters on offense and eight on defense. And that defense was salty last year. Could have been a lot better, but they got both both Stills brothers back. That's one one place where you can actually build is yeah. uh, you, you get your best defensive lineman back. Your uh, your team's probably going to be better. Um. Okay. Well, I guess that's the entire Big Twelve because we already talked about o- OU extensively and OSU a little bit before that little segment. But um, I, one more thing before you get out of here, John. I mean, is it a foregone conclusion that De'Aaron King is going to LSU? And the reason why I ask is Joe Brady's not going to be there anymore. Now LSU can go after another similar philosophy coordinator out there. But, I mean, does this put the De'Aaron King potential transfer to LSU in question at all, in your opinion, or is it just a foregone conclusion? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it, it, what, a, what a step down. No no knock against De'Aaron King, but what a step down to go from a guy who had the best. You, do you want to be De'Aaron King and follow the guy who had the best history and the best season in the history of college football quarterbacks? I don't know if I'm De'Aaron King that I want to do that. Now, he's got a lot of talent around him, yes. Um, but maybe he goes to West Virginia just to stick it to Dana a little, for, a little more. Uh, yeah. He looks at Jared Daggy and he looks at Austin Kendall and says, I'm better than those guys. I mean, goodness. Um, <laughs> I like a good conspiracy theory, man. What would make me the most happy is if he transferred to Texas and won the starting job. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Never happened. Uh, yeah, didn't he play for Tom Herman or was recruited by Tom Herman? Yeah. So he's probably the most angry person on earth that um, Tom or Sam Ellinger returned, made his glorious return, his surprising return. He thought he was going to UT. You know what's weird is you go back to the days when OU played Houston and opened up the season with the Cougs at, at Owen Field, and Lincoln Riley spent that entire week and the postgame talking about this cat is one of the five best quarterbacks in the, in all of college football. Uh, this kid is, is as good as there is. He just really, really laid on the, the, the syrup uh, when talking about uh, D.R. King. I didn't and see I think it. That, Oh yeah, spent the whole week talking about him. So I think that well, really I mean I didn't fueled a lot of people to, to presume, hmm, that's somebody that sounds like Lincoln Riley would like to have in Norman. No, that ain't happening, people. No. Um no, just 
it was one game, and Houston was significantly worse this year than they were last year when they won a bunch of games. But even watching games last year, I wasn't that impressed with De'Aaron King. Um, I wasn't that particularly frightened of him, even though OU's defense was completely unproven, and the last time we saw them, they sucked going into the season opener against Houston. And then even during the game, I'm just like, eh, eh. I mean, if he goes to LSU, he's going to have talent around him, and he's a good athlete, and he's got a good arm, um, so he can make some plays, and he'll be a little nice stopgap akin to what Jalen Hurts was for OU this season for LSU if that's where he ends up. But, yeah, large step down, large step down from Burrow to a Derek King. But, um, no, it would be interesting to see where he ends up because he could potentially um, be a guy that injects some excitement into a program. You know, I, I, and I love – that's one thing I do love about the transfer portal is it creates an entire offseason like we had with Jalen Hurts coming to Oklahoma. creates an entire offseason of speculation and wondering and, oh, my gosh, what is Lincoln Riley's offense going to look like with a, a quarterback who could be a 1,000-yard rusher? That's just – which I know Kyler Murray was, but different animal completely. Um, but it just makes you makes you more interested than ever in the offseason, especially when it's a quarterback. You, you can get – you know, your Theo Howards and guys like that, you can get play, players transfer in. But when you get a new quarterback, and not just a new quarterback, but a different style of quarterback, let's, spe- let's spend the next nine months or eight months speculating on what Derek King would look like in the LSU offense. It's just fun. No, exactly. It's like free agency in the NBA. It's, it's, it's fun to talk about. It's good radio chatter in the summer months when there's not a lot of stuff to talk about. It's fun to talk about, no question. But, uh, John... It's been an hour and 30 minutes off-season pod, and we made it work. <laughs> that's pretty crazy that we went an hour and 30 minutes and there's nothing really going on. Oh, it was great. That's, that's uh, I mean, it's it's OU football. It's college football. There's always – you can always dig for something. Like, when, we, when I sat down, I was like, what the hell are we going to talk about? And then we did this for an hour and 40 minutes. We did Locked On Sooners for about 25 minutes. We, we, make, it, we make it happen. Ladies and gentlemen, he is our podcast overlord. He is Brady Trent. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast, part of the Franchise Podcast Network. I almost I had to catch myself. I almost said it again. <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Appreciate all the retweets, um, all that good stuff. Um, thank Spread you. the word. Yeah, thank like, you so much. share, rate, do all that stuff because – when you when you rate a podcast on Apple uh, iTunes, for instance, or Apple Podcasts, that increases our visibility, and more people get out there and get to hear our podcast. So, as much interaction as you can have with us, if you want to retweet on Twitter, social media, whatever, absolutely do it. Jump on. We encourage you because we want to grow this podcast. We want it to be bigger, better, more frequent, and give you the content that, as OU fans, you guys come to expect. Yeah, your your rating basically is the viagra for this podcast it makes us bigger it makes us last longer and that's all that we need right that's right and soon to soon to come off of that will be sponsorships and (laughs) this thing will be blowing up uh well you don't want it to blow up but if we do a podcast that lasts longer than four hours i think we'll both have to call our doctors because we've gone insane at that point (laughs) (laughs) that's how we'll end it everybody thank you so much john thank you so much we'll talk to you guys later Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. 
Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. And be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.